a man by the name of John Woolman, who fought hard to remove slavery from the American continent, once had a very, very dramatic vision. He described it as a soft, melodious voice, he says, more harmonious than any I've ever heard with my ears before. I believed it was the voice of an angel. But what the voice said would shake him to his very bones the rest of his days. Here's what the angelic voice said to him. John Woolman is dead. You are dead. Now, if you don't know this, or if you're new to Christianity, Christianity has a complex purity to it, meaning there are dichotomies that exist only within faith. There is grief, but there is also hope. There is sorrow, but there is also joy. There is humility, but there's also confidence, and so on, and so on, and so on. And for John Woolman, once he heard these words, he rightly so was frightened and puzzled. But once he finally understood what this vision was, he spoke back into the darkness, Galatians 2.20, this verse. He goes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What Woolman understood was not a physical death to fear, but a death of one's own will. And if you're wondering, or if you, again, if this is your first time here or first time to Christianity, if you're wondering what the difference between a death of somebody's will is or an obliteration of somebody's will, here is the difference. Here is the complex purity. Our death has resurrection. Obliteration does not. Our death has new life. And as Danish philosopher Kierkegaard phrases it in this way, I love it. He says it like this. God creates everything out of nothing. And everything which God is to use, he first reduces to nothing. To be reduced to nothing is simultaneously our biggest fears, Christian or not, it's our biggest fears and yet our greatest need. Dichotomy. There it is again. And if we scour the Bibles in front of you, we will see that this death of the will and reduced to nothingness is in almost every single narrative you could possibly find. Think back, or some of you remember, remember the, the more famous spiritual giants. Moses, in his death to the will, to be able to enter the promised land. King David, in his death to the will, to make God a temple. Paul, in his death to the will, of wanting to go to Rome. All the way down to a simple deacon by the name of Philip in Acts chapter 8. So now we're caught up. Read verse 4. of Acts 8. We're going to see a dichotomy exist here as well. Now, those who were scattered went abroad preaching the word. So a little bit of history here. Up to this point, the leaders of the very first church ever were huddled and comfortable with little warm blankets and hot cocos in Jerusalem. Thus being the exact opposite of what God's spirit wanted, what Jesus said. If you remember last week, Jesus said, go. And they're like, no, no, I want to stay here. Okay. Well, Acts 8 changed everything. One obedient man was stirred beyond comfortability into risky faith. Look at verse 5. Philip, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Philip went down into the city of Samaria. Upon per, a first viewing, this means a little bit. Who cares? Move on. 
But to skip over these words would be like fast-forwarding through Martin Luther King's words, I have a dream. There are deep, deep trenches in those words went down to the city of Samaria. You don't just go down to Samaria. For centuries, Jewish people have been avoiding Samaria like we all avoid Fresno. (laughs) Sorry, I know there's visitors from Fresno today, wherever they're at. Sorry. Whatever. You drive around it, but in all seriousness, in seriousness, the raging and intense ethnic and cultural tension between these two races was as thick as steel. So what we're reading about is racism. And for generations, each considering the other race a plague. So again, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. Okay, bear with me here, but Philip marching into Samaria is just as controversial as the march on Selma. It really is. And is it too heavy of a comparison that this is a liken to an African-American preacher walking into a white supremacy rally to save them? And then Philip tells them not the news of a Samaritan Messiah, but the news of a Jewish Messiah. There is no way any of this could succeed. This is a death march. Verse 6. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Verse 7, for unclean spirits crying out loud with a loud voice came out of many who had helped, had had them, excuse me, and many were paralyzed um, or lame were healed. And look at verse 8. So there was much joy in that city. This is absolutely amazing. Philip has the Midas touch. His social media account just went through the roof. He's getting guest speaker gigs. By every standard, Philip is an absolute success. A success. And remember, for those of you may, who may remember, this is the first time the word joy is mentioned in the book of Acts. There's an absolute explosion. And then, verse 26 of chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go. Rise and go. And then we all go, wait a minute, everything was going so well. Measurable accomplishments, measurable achievements, measurable advancement. You know what, church, we must be missing something. So let's turn to the other verses now, which explains to Philip his duration and cost of this next trip. And then we're going to a bunch of other verses that shows what Airbnb is going to stay in. And then we're going to go to other verses which talks about what happens to his 401k. I'm being stupid. It doesn't exist. Where we're left to ask, what is going to happen to Philip's relationships? Philip's legacy, his plans, his dreams, his hope, his ministry. And this is where we remember the other angelic voice, John woman is dead. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So when God's spirit, that mighty rushing wind, blows through our plans, often we have no script, no details, and no guarantee other than the presence of the interrupter or the presence of the sender. So pay attention to this. For Philip, God divinely interrupts and instigates a road change. And no one saw it coming. No one saw it coming. Collective Church, I, Casey Fritz, 
can completely relate. Like Philip, he possesses a flourishing and thriving ministry. Things are happening. Gears are turning. Fireworks are exploding. Lives are changing. Throats are singing. Verse 26 again. Rise and go. After being in ministry for 21 years, in L.A. for close to 10, and for Collective Church for five years, God has come ever so close to my heart and my family's heart and said, Casey, rise and go. And this is where I apologize to any visitors, newcomers, or recent collective joiners because this is not a normal Sunday whatsoever. Because this is where I drop the devastatingly beautiful truth that God has invited me and my family to a completely new road. What does that mean exactly? Well, for those of you who may not know, two years ago, um, I came at the absolute end of my rope. I was emotionally unhealthy and completely exhausted. And years of undealt child abuse, pain, anger, PTSD came over me like a black wave. But through the support of you and the power of the Holy Spirit, I was completely set on a new track. This church gave me a gift by allowing me to go into a better place. And it was death to life for me. And I feel great. I want you guys to know I feel great. This is the best I've ever felt. This is the healthiest I've ever been. So what every single one of you who make up Collective Church gave me was something I could never possibly return. I am a new man entirely. But if you remember, I've been likening it to Jacob, who wrestled with God in the book of Genesis. He wrestled with God in the book of Genesis. His identity changed in that wrestling and in that battle. And it actually says he spent the rest of his days walking with a limp. I, too, bear a limp. My limping gives me new limitations, new energy, and new bandwidth. And so, since then, what I was witnessing was too often the role of being a pastor. After 21 years, the role of being a pastor, and even at times Los Angeles, was taking me out of those new limitations. Think of it as too many times a limping man forced to run. There's only so many times that can happen before the limping man falls. I can't allow that to happen. To myself, to my amazing family, wherever they're at. And to you. To this church. I remember the words of author Parker Palmer who says, A leader is a person who must take special responsibility for what's going inside him or herself, inside him or her consciousness, lest the act of leadership create more harm than good. Or even theologian Dallas Willard reminds me and reminds all of us, if we don't come apart for a while, we will come apart after a while. The Lord will not allow this to happen. Like I said, God has invited me and my family to an extended duration where I can walk with a limp, What that means is I will not be in ministry. Please don't think I'm leaving and going to get some gig in some mega church in Texas. I'm not. 
I don't want that. I'm leaving an extended time of ministry, an extended time for ministry. But I want everybody to know freaking door. What I want everybody to know is I don't want this. My wife does not want this. If we had magic wands with like unicorn inlay hair, if we had wands like that, maybe a bad time for a Harry Potter joke, but we wouldn't be doing any of this. We wouldn't. But when you love big like we do, it always hurts big like it does. So I can never fully explain to anybody here or adequately explain what it's been like to have imagined you, conceived of you, and then have you exist. You guys don't know what it's like. My wife, wherever she's at, I don't know where she's at. There she is. We were, walk, we were driving up today. She drops me off, and we're seeing Brittany and John hanging up signs. And we're like, aren't we shocked every week that people come and do this? Yes, every week we're shocked. Every week we're shocked that there's a band here. People come every freaking week. It's mind-bending. Because after 17 freaking years of my wife and I being together, this church was our entire dream, our entire hope, our entire plan, and our entire aim. And yet, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So obedience always comes at the cost of our own will. Do we know that? Obedience always comes at the cost of our own will. That's what makes obedience so costly and challenging. Our autonomous and even good godly agenda, like being a pastor at a church, must be overcome. So the obedient soul must step into the direction. Casey must step into the direction against all odds, as much as I don't want to. And don't get me wrong, if I look at the Bible, men and women argued with God and they made excuses, but please hear me, God must always win that argument. Because every time we truly listen, we know that God is beckoning us. As the Psalms say, Psalm 42, I love this, deep calls to deep. There's the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. I do not want to stay in the shallows. If I did, you should rip me from this pulpit and label me a hypocrite. I'm a pastor. How could I not follow where Jesus leads? And didn't we just do a four-week series, like I said, on what it means to be a profile disciple, being responsibly following Jesus and responsibly stewarding your limitations, your time, and who you are? That's what I'm trying to do, live out that responsibility. So this is immense for me and my family. This is frightening. This is beautiful. Some of you, again, your first time here, like, I don't care. But this is frightening. Where deep calls out to deep is where answers don't come easily, where pain is exposed rather than covered up, where his presence is more alluring than products, where his call is more beautiful than agendas, and where death comes with new life. And because of that, I say yes. My family says yes. For better or worse, we say yes to his ways and his wills. And if I have any kind of lasting legacy or impact or influence in your life, it's to always say yes to whatever God is asking. Always say yes. No matter how hard, fearful, wild, weird, whatever he's asking. So, I know I'm probably stirring up emotions for some. Again, other people. Uh, For some, I'm stirring up emotions, and that's okay. And that's even good. 
and we can talk about that later. But I also know I'm stirring up questions, and I want everybody to know that within the hour, a letter will be sent to our online hub and on our website that might address things that I just don't have time to get into today. Beware, I did best I could to condense it, but it is three pages. So get a bookmark. But I do want to address some of the questions as best as I can right now. And actually, it's from Scripture. If you look at verse 26 again. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then pay close attention. This is a desert place. Philip is asked to leave his flourishing ministry that he started his baby and go to the desert. And we find out that God wants him to leave this group, this church, for a single person. And from that moment on, he's mentioned one more time, and then guess what? Never again. The similarities in this narrative are comforting and ironic. Because through months and months of discernment, we believe God is guiding the Fritzes, that road to a literal desert, Phoenix, Arizona. And we're going to be there by June of this year. So I'm around for a while. I'm teaching heaven and hell and teaching Easter. But you will see less and less of me from here, which is good. And I do need to ask for your forgiveness. Because to be honest, I have many jokes in here about how horrible Phoenix is. <laughs> like I was going to say, if you're unfamiliar with Phoenix, imagine hell's backyard. I was going to say, if you're unfamiliar with Phoenix, imagine the sun. But, but I was so convicted this week because the place where I grew up, Arizona, despite my loathing and where all of my abuse comes from, it's a place God is calling me. So who am I to despise it? If God is there, it is good. If God is in the desert, it is good. So I ask for your forgiveness if you've heard me talk crap about Phoenix, I do ask for your forgiveness. It's a literal desert, but I need to go. And there are people there we love who also need our help, just to let you guys in a little bit. My mother-in-law, who is struggling with stage two cancer. My uncle, who is in state prison for dealing meth, who accepted the Lord in prison. It's a beautiful thing, and he's asked me many times to come there and talk to him about the Lord. On top of that, Anybody who's ever abused me or caused me pain lives there in the same city. So like leaving the hole for a single person, my wife and I say, okay. On top of that, if, you're, if you've ever studied the symbolicness of deserts in Scripture, they're blooming a transformation. This quote I'm about to do from Alan Jones will really express what we're expecting to walk into. The desert of which I speak, it is a desert of the Spirit, a place of revelation, conversion, and transformation. A true revelation is a very disturbing event because it demands a response. And a response means some kind of inner revolution. It involves being made over, being made new, being born again. The desert, then, is a place of revolution. In the desert, we wait, we weep, we learn to live. This is our new road, the Fritzes, but this is also your new road. Meaning, once again, Collective Church is going to be traveling onto new territory, trying new things. 
learning together where new life is as we remain faithful to what we've known all along. That being, we are not a place where, but a people who. That being, that collective church is not orbiting around a single preacher or entity. That being, we are not a zip code, we are not this building, we are not some abstract idea, we are not Casey Fritz, and Casey Fritz is not collective church. This is Christ's church. This is Christ's mission. This is his agenda. And what Philip knew was what we're relearning all over again, that Jesus and only Jesus is the only indispensable part of this entire family. And so the next chapter turn for collective, it's exactly what we've been doing from the beginning, which is fighting for desperation. May we never, ever become comfortable, complacent, passive, or stagnant, or ever here for a single person. May we watch out to be cannibalistic or consumeristic, using others or people or the church for our own betterment. The pastors here have always prayed and said, bring on the discomfort, bring on the pain, bring on the challenges, even if that means, and all of that means, we're locked onto Christ. And it's because of that, and it's because of that, that I would follow Pastor Isaac and Pastor Lorenzo into a volcano full of sharks and clowns if they told me to. (laughs) I would. I would follow them to literally the gates of hell and back. Because those two are overly capable, incredibly strong, immensely imperfect, and outrageously desperate for Jesus leaders who love the living crap out of this church. And if you're not in that place where you fully trust the leadership here, if I'm gone or when I leave, today is your opportunity to change that with questions and prayers and time. As well, I just say this very firmly, but also very lovingly, if you want this church to be some other church, I wish it was more this way, I encourage lovingly, then go to that church. Then go. And pour your life into that church. This church, this family has its own unique path, its own particular DNA, and we must be true to it. Amen? I'm going to end with this. I was actually checking over my notes. I think I've quoted C.S. Lewis like every sermon for like the last two years. So forgive me, but I'm going to do it again. But this is very, very, uh, hopefully a beautiful metaphor for me and for you and for all of us to inspire us, but at the same time to warn us. In the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a young girl who's lost and extremely thirsty, and she's traveling through the dark wilderness. And yet, like a horror film, there is movements in the shadows, and there's unwelcome noises. And then finally, she sees a glimpse of the monster, and it was this large lion crouched by a stream, the lion being a Christ figure in Narnia. So this girl, terrified, knows, I can't run. She knows she can't hide, but she would dare not approach the stream. And as she's processing, this monster speaks and says, if you are thirsty, you may drink. I'm thirsty. Just so everybody knows, I'm very thirsty. I can only imagine some of you are as well. And the girl, Fearful, says, and pay attention to this, the girl says, will you eat me? And the lion says, possibly. I eat girls and boys and kings and emperors. And then she says, will you go away so I can drink? And the lion says, no. And then she says, then I won't drink. And the lion says, then you'll die. 
then you'll die. But here's where I want everybody to gather around. This is the part I want everybody to know. The girl says, then I'm going to find another stream. Forget it, I'm going to go somewhere else. And the Christ line says, there is no other stream. There is no other stream. Do we see you, family? There is no other way. There is no other path. Untethered obedience threatens our normal mode of existence. Like God threatens our will, like a lion threatens a stream. It's threatened mine and my wife's, my son Moses, and my daughter Violet's. And now it's possibly threatened some of yours. I've tried, and I bet you've tried to find other streams and other ways to quench that thirst, and it's all has probably proven, as it proven for me, that it's salt, water, or dry beds or contaminated. Will we come to understand most intimately that this stream the lion offers, as dangerous, as upsetting, or as uncomfortable as it may feel, is our only hopes of satisfying our soul's greatest need? If I were to try and stay, I would just be satisfying my own felt needs. So then, like the girl in the wilderness, or like Philip, or like myself and the entire Fritz family, the same question applies to all of us. Will we rise and go? Amen? I'm going to invite up Pastor Lorenzo. He's going to give us some practicals and guide us in some stuff. echo what Casey said. Sorry if you're visiting. <laughs> Casey, we love you. Um, I think it's important. Casey can stand up here in the situation that he's in and, and say a lot of what he said, essentially. And uh, it's easy to put a spin on situations like this and all of that. But I want you to know that um, he was completely sincere, totally, trans totally transparent. Um, there's no spin. There's no PR in this. Uh, he's not whitewashing anything or sugarcoating anything. And I want to just say that uh, I'm an eyewitness to that, as is Pastor Isaac. And so uh, I want you to know that. When we first started talking about this, my first reaction was, um, well, I had a lot of concern. What are we talking about here? Are, are you circling the drain? Is this a crisis? What's, what's going on? And um, I was pleased to discover that it wasn't a crisis. He wasn't circling the drain so to speak, as he was a few years ago, right before he went on sabbatical. Some of you were here for that. And we were able to determine that uh, he had enough gas left in the tank to make it through to June. And so that's, that's been the plan. And um, Casey is in the best place I've ever seen him. I've known him for several years. And he's in the best place I've ever seen him. And it's from this place of sitting at the feet of Jesus and allowing Jesus to work in his heart that he's making this decision. And um, <clears throat> it's difficult 
for us, obviously. I've been sitting with it for a while. You've been sitting with it for <laughs> 20 minutes or whatever it's been. And so I think it's important for us to really be honest about how we feel about this kind of stuff. Um, and so to whatever degree this is upsetting to you and stirs up sadness in your hearts and all that kind of stuff, we're, we're a family. We've just been going over that recently, right? We're a church family. We want to be responsible family members to one another. So we need to support one another. We need to be available to one another to hash it out, talk it out, process, those sorts of things. So let, let's do that. But, you know, what, what's interesting is that, you know, people keep, people have asked me, uh, we had a, a, a mission member meeting earlier this week where uh, we let them know what was going on. And some people have asked me, if you knew that this was going to happen when you planted the church with Casey, would you have done it? And my first reaction is, no, of course not. But who knows? I mean, like when God calls you to do something, he calls you to do something. I didn't want to plant the church at all, period. <laughs> but God had other plans. God had other plans. And God can, in his grace and his goodness and in his love, he can get our attention and call us to himself and say, follow me. And what I'm seeing Casey going through right now and his family going through is very similar to what I saw when they first moved to Los Angeles in 2011. 2011? Yeah. They picked up and moved from Arizona to LA and with no promise of a job or anything like that, not, no work lined up, just believing that God was calling them to Los Angeles and they just wanted to follow Jesus. And Casey busted his butt to find work to be able to provide for his family. In doing so, demonstrated his character and his integrity, the, f the faith that he has, and his commitment to follow Jesus no matter what. So this is not a new revelation for Casey. This is, as much as it's difficult for him to go through and his family to go through, they've lived their whole lives following Jesus. This is a pattern. This is a good pattern. This is a pattern to follow. It's a pattern for us to follow. And consider what does it look like for us to follow Jesus? What does it look like for us to say yes to Jesus? I would say during this time, please be sensitive to his family. Obviously, they're saying yes to Jesus, and they, they know that this is what they need to do, and they're not wavering in their obedience but it's an emotionally charged time. So let's give them the space they need. Let's give them the grace that they need. Let's not expect that we, along with everybody else, gets one more coffee with Casey or dinner out. Let's, let's try to give them some space and let, let's honor them in that. And if there's some coffees and if there's some dinners, so be it. But let's just honor them, okay? and respect them as they're processing this. I would say also, please be careful and smart about how you talk to his kids. Um, don't make this harder for them than it has to be. His kids are totally on board. They're excited about this next step. But don't joke with them about, are you sure you want to go? Don't, you know, as much as you possibly can, continue to influence them towards Jesus and what it looks like to follow Jesus in this 
but let's just be really respectful and 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 let's have realistic expectations of uh, about about what it looks like as we continue to interact with Casey and his family during the time that they have left here. <clears throat> also, if if Casey um, seems distracted, if he seems off or anything like that, let's give him grace. We can expect um, that he'll be continuing to preach, but preaching less as he finishes out his time here. And then his last Sunday with us specifically will be June 9th. Uh, so obviously there's questions about where do we go from here and you know who's going to be the next teaching pastor. Well, I'm here to let you know that my gift to you is that it's not going to be me. <laughs> Nobody wants that. I don't want that. It's all good. So what, we, what we're doing, well, first of all, what we did was we, we pursued all the options within our personal networks. We uh, reached out to everybody that we knew, and we exhausted all those options. And uh, we've recently contracted with a search firm uh, that specializes in pastoral ministry searches. And uh, they're the premier search firm in the country. And uh, they have a great reputation. I've known of them for several years. Every church I've known that has worked with them uh, has spoken highly of them. Every pastor I know that's been placed with them has spoken highly of them, and we, we trust them. And uh, Pastor Isaac and I are working closely with them so that uh, they can understand our mission and our vision and our values so that they can help us find um, good candidates for us to prayerfully consider. I also want to say that uh, we're not looking for the best preacher. We're looking for the right preacher that fits our culture, that's right for our church community. We owe that to you guys. It'll be a different face up here and a different voice up here eventually, but it's going to be the same stuff. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Faithful to the world, faith, not faithful to the world, because that would be wrong. That would be the wrong, that would be the wrong guy. Faithful to the word. Faithful to the word, preaching Jesus, preaching the gospel. <clears throat> and uh, we're just looking forward to how God will provide. Now, I say that and, and I want you to understand what I'm saying is that we don't have the capacity. So after Casey, once he's gone, guess how many people we'll have on staff? One, me. We don't have the capacity. I don't have the capacity to design and architect a hiring process and a vetting process and all that kind of stuff. So we need help. And so that's why we've contacted the, with, with this firm. And uh, as much as we're doing that, I want to remind you, and I want to be crystal clear our hope is in Jesus, not in search firms. We're looking to God to provide, not a search firm. So as much as we are working with them and all of that, and we trust that they will help us, and they will expand our ability to find a new teaching pastor, our hope is in God, and we're trusting in Jesus. You feel me? Okay, that is so vitally important. So... Aside from the sadness and disruption that this obviously is with Casey leaving, here's the thing. On every other front, 
we've never been more or better positioned to experience spiritual fruit as a church community. We've never been better positioned to reach people and make disciples on the West Side. There is so much that is going on that is positive and is bright. And so I would say this, as we are seeking to process what the significance of this, and, and I know that, uh, again, if you're visiting, you don't even know who Casey is, <laughs> whatever. But uh, for those of us that know Casey, everyone, everyone loves Casey. And so this, there's going to be an emotional response here. I would say, let's separate the difference between uh, processing what it looks like for Casey to move on and, and the loss on our end as, it, as it's related to that. Let's separate that from our perspective of the future. Let's celebrate our future because it's bright. There's so many things that are going on, our new connect process, the profile of a disciple that becomes a framework for the direction of our discipleship for many years to come. There's so many great things happening. We can be excited about the future without being disrespectful to Casey and his family, right? I don't want you to, to feel that to be excited about the future is somehow disrespectful to Casey and his family. And I don't want you to, to feel deeply what's going on within your own experience of, of a sense of loss or pain or whatever in, in, in saying goodbye to them and, and, and have you think that that's also related to, the, to, to our future. Those things need to be separated. So I would say let's celebrate the future together and let's honor Casey and his family for the ways that they have served here. And uh, let's process our own experience and our own pain and, and all of that with that. I want to say, you guys don't have a clue, and not because there's anything wrong with you. You just don't have the vantage point. You don't have a clue the sacrifices that Casey and his family have made for you guys, for this church. In every possible way that you can imagine, and you don't even know. I'm not going to give you a list, but he loves you guys so much. And they have been so sacrificial in the way that they've served you guys. You, you might understand that to a degree, but I've been watching. I've been there. He loves you guys. His family loves you guys. His family has been making their own sacrifices, even in the way that they've supported him in ministry. I just say that so that you know and to be able to publicly honor him. As Casey said, we're going to put something on our website within the hour or so, and you can, if there's someone that you know that's in your discipleship group or neighborhood dinner or whatever, and they're not here today, you'll be able to send them the link and all that kind of stuff. It's really important to Casey to be able to tell his story with his own words. And so that's why he wrote a three-page letter. But we're going we're gonna to transition now. This is still a church service after all. I'm going to have Bryce and the band come on up. And I want to say that what you guys have witnessed today is a man saying yes to Jesus, a family saying yes to Jesus. Yes, as Casey said, he now walks with a limp, but this is not what they would have chosen for themselves. And so that's where obedience comes in. I've also been in ministry for 21 years. I don't know. This kind of stuff doesn't happen a lot. 
A lot of guys just fight through stuff. A lot of guys struggle with identity issues where they make ministry their ultimate identity. And Casey's willing to, to let go of that because Jesus is calling him to. Calling him to let go and then also calling him to himself so that Jesus can just minister to him during this time. So just as Casey's very publicly modeling for us what it means to, to say yes to Jesus, that is what your takeaway should be. What does it look like for you to say yes to Jesus? What are the things that are going on in your lives where Jesus is calling you to obedience and calling you to himself? Some of you might not even know Jesus. You got dragged here by your friend. What a doozy of a church gathering to show up at. But just leave today with this. Say yes to Jesus. Jesus loves you so much. He died on the cross for your sins because it was your sins that separated you from God. And so he sacrificed his very life so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could have a relationship with him. As Casey said, saying yes to Jesus and obedience requires a death to self and a death of the will. But that's because we cling on to stupid stuff that only keeps us from Jesus. And that stuff that we hold on to that keeps us from Jesus, I'm telling you right now, is not worth holding on to. So if Casey were not, if he were to not heed this call and not be obedient in this way, and he stayed as your pastor, great, congratulations, Casey. But what did you just do? Saying yes to Jesus is what matters. And even when that involves sacrifice, it's for the greater good. It's for something so much better. And we hold on to stuff that we think that we need because we think it's going to deliver and it's going to give us something. It's going to scratch an itch in some way. And Jesus is like, I've got so much more for you. Jesus has so much more for you. If he's calling you to obedience in some way and only you know what that is, Respond appropriately. If he's calling us, if he's calling you to himself, because right now you don't have a relationship with him, you can get that right, right now. And all it requires is you to just surrender your heart to him. You don't have to pray a fancy prayer or anything like, you don't have to jump through any kind of spiritual hoops. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith. And it's just placing our faith in Jesus, believing what he did for us on the cross matters and actually accomplish something, and that's the forgiveness of our sins. So in a second, we're going to celebrate communion together. It's up here at the front on both sides here. This, the cups are stacked. The top cup has the juice that represents his, um, his shed blood. The bottom cup holds a little wafer representing his broken body. And we're going to celebrate communion because of what Jesus did for us. How Jesus said yes to the Father in obedience and going to the cross. And how Jesus said yes to us. He didn't have to, he didn't have to do anything for us. But he loved us so much that he did. He left heaven for us. And so now we're going to worship. Because he's always worthy of worship. And if you're like, Lorenzo, you're an idiot. This is, that's the last thing I want to do right now is worship. I'm not in the mood after hearing all this. Trust me. 
God is working in our church community. He's working in Casey's heart. He's working in your heart as you're processing Casey's example. God is calling you to more. And if you're so confused and you don't understand, which is totally fine, because stepping out in faith and obedience doesn't mean we always have all our questions answered. But the the key is to just get our eyes on Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to worship him. We're going to participate in communion. And our prayer team will be up on the sides of the auditorium as well. If you'd like prayer for anything, please reach out to them. Go up to them as the music begins and ask for prayer for anything. If you're wrestling with this and you don't like your own response, go pray about it with, our mem- with the members of our prayer team. Um, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus and you would like to do that, and you just want to talk to someone about it and say, hey, pray for me. I, I think I just placed my faith in Jesus. Go, go talk to the prayer team. They'd love to pray with you. But we're going to worship because Jesus is always worthy of worship. He's always worthy to be praised. Um, I would say in the coming weeks, if you have any questions about anything, we're available to you. Please reach out. Happy to talk and process with you. But the bottom line is, is that Jesus is leading this church community, and he never stopped. He's never going to stop. This church belongs to Jesus, and that's just the unshakable reality of it. So as King Jesus, the King, Je- the King that he is, let's worship him now. Let's all stand, and let's just get our hearts prepared to respond to him and worship. I'll have the prayer team take their places. Don't forget communion is up here at the front as well. And let's allow Jesus to minister. <laughs>